0: Hello and welcome to Pod Bless Canada. Uh, my name is Ken Coates. I'm a Monk Senior Fellow at the McNaughton Lurie Institute. I'm delighted to have you with us today speaking to Carol Ann Hilton. Um, as many of you will know, we've been actually investigating the whole question of Indigenous economic and commercial development for about five or six years, we've been doing a lot of uh, work in this area and talking to some of the leading uh, people in the field. I'm absolutely delighted to have today Carol Ann Hilton. Um, who is the chief executive officer, president, I'm not sure what the official title is, I'm sure she'll tell us, of Indigenomics. She has emerged in recent years as one of the most thoughtful and provocative speakers about Indigenous economic development, has a great vision of sort of what's happened and what's going to happen in the future. Uh, Caroline, welcome to welcome to the mcdonnell Lurie Institute.
1: Great. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me on here today.
0: We're delighted you're with us. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to the point where you have emerged as such a eloquent spokesperson for uh, for Indigenous business development in Canada?
1: Thank you. So, as the CEO and founder of the Indigenomics Institute, my driving motivator was to begin to frame this story of this growth in Indigenous business success. My background: I did an international MBA. Um, through the University of Hertfordshire. It was a partnership program through the Vancouver Island University. Um, At the time, my interest really was in building tangible skills that our communities would be able to to support economic development and what growth looked like. And looking at that over time and seeing what this growth has translated to over the past 15 to 20 years, it's really amazing to be um, alive in this time as well as to see the placement of the insertion of this new concept of Indigenomics into Canadian consciousness. Um, Currently, I serve as a number of um, senior advisor roles, um, both within the Federal Economic Growth Council to two ministers in B.C. through the B.C. Emerging Economy Task Force, um, through the Minister of Jobs, Trades and Technology, as well as the B.C. Indigenous Investment Council, Um, through the Ministry of Indigenous Relations, and just really seeing this increased focus on um, supporting a framework for Indigenous economic growth.
0: Well, you've done a great job of outlining through all your various works sort of the kind of things that have have actually been happening. But I wonder if we can start with you telling us about what indigenomics means. Um, When I was reading your website and looking at some of your publications and some of your writing, Um, You talk about this as being economics from an Indigenous worldview or economics from an Indigenous point of view. Um, Tell me what you mean by that.
1: For sure. So, Indigenomics um, is a concept that to be able to build a platform for modern Indigenous economic design, Traditionally, the perception of Indigenous peoples in this country um, has been one of conflict and one of space, so that the exclusion of Indigenous peoples from the economic table has been a founding um, feature of the development of this country. So the first 150 years, that experience, and contrasting that to the potential of the next 150 years, that looks at a new economic platform for collaboration for Indigenous business success. That's really the intersection that I see um, in digitomics acting from within um, and that this is the time to be able to both facilitate the collaboration and points of leadership for further Indigenous business success as well as to address the existing challenges within Indigenous growth.
0: What's really interesting as I listen to you talk and it's so exciting to hear your positive and optimistic sort of point of view, this is still a relatively new phenomena in terms of extreme and active indigenous engagement in the mainstream economy, isn't it? Um, 20 years ago, we didn't hear people talk about indigenomics. We didn't hear them talk about rapid indigenous economic development. What's happened? How did we get here?
1: What has happened has been this facilitation of leadership of an Indigenous worldview that's been translated from the legal environment. So there's well over 250 cases where First Nations have tested our rights, um, our new requirements to be participating in local economy, that this has been tested and created a new language. Indigenomics is a word that is both neutral Um, and supports um, a place for leadership and action. The concept of Indigenomics being neutral means that it's not weighted within the past legal environment or has it been challenged. It's really a place for supporting Indigenous growth that the concept itself is there to support both Indigenous communities as well as Canada's GDP. The idea of, um, through the Indigenomics Institute, is to be able to facilitate a conscious shift within um, the perception of Canada. So historically, there's been this kind of, this over-common concept of Indigenous peoples being a burden to the fiscal system that actually is based in falsehood. It's a myth that is no longer relevant to Canadian identity, and instead needs to be able to shift that Indigenous peoples are economic powerhouses, we're powerhouses in our own right, and that this shift from a legal environment to an economic environment is the new reality, that government needs to be able to get on board with that, corporations need to be able to get on board with this new reality, as well as even small, medium enterprises, that this new uh, place of collaboration and inclusion of Indigenous business and communities is this new reality um, and a new economic operating framework.
0: I've heard you speak two or three times in the last year or so, always very exciting, always very dynamic. And in one of those talks, was the first time I heard you describe the, the $100 billion objective, and you were basically saying that within a fairly short period of time that Indigenous people would be contributing in a direct commercial activity, $100 billion into the Canadian economy. Very exciting, dynamic target. Where did the number come from? And what's been the response to that, the, your, your comments on that scale?
1: For sure. So the original set of initial measurements came from a collaboration between TD, uh, a special economic report, and Canadian Council for Aboriginal Businesses. So there was about three sets of metrics done, I believe 2011-2011, 2012 and 2016. The 2016 estimated that the size of the Canadian national indigenous um, would come in at 30 billion. It actually came in at 32 billion. So building from those numbers became apparent that there's this potential for a hockey stick growth potential to achieve 100 billion. The space for between 32 and 100 billion, really that concept of um, kind of where the puck is going, the space that says with collaboration, with leadership, with policy shift, with inclusion, and with Indigenomics as a foundation for modern Indigenous economic design, the potential of $100 billion Indigenous economy can be actualized within five years, um, but requires modern Indigenous economic design and a shift within the narrative of this country Um, both within the federal and provincial governments, as well as within the media itself.
0: So you're asking Canadians, and that's not the right word, you're actually making it clear that Canadians do not understand what's really going on. In other words, there's been this surge of Indigenous economic activity. And you're suggesting to them that it's in the collective best interest to pay a lot of attention to this, that in fact, Canada is going to be transformed by the emergence of a resilient and and economically powerful Indigenous community. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. I think that there's this dual narrative of what just happened, so an outcome of the 250-plus court cases that nations have won. There's this landslide of um, increased Indigenous influence that's both legal and economic. And then there's a second narrative that is what do we need to do And both of those narratives are equally important. But the place for indigenomics as an economic platform to be able to design towards the 100 billion needs to be definitely a call to action, a call that says, who wants to play indigenomics? What does that look like within the um, finance realm, the investment, um, business partnership all of these different aspects to support the development of a $100 billion national Indigenous economy in five years.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We know from the other work we've done at the Lurie Institute that, you know, the, the private sector financing isn't there yet, that government programs are actually sometimes more a hindrance than a help, that the general public still doesn't really believe that Indigenous people own businesses and are active in the business field or running extremely successful corporations. And Um, When I was talking to people in Saskatchewan about the fact that an Aboriginal development corporation in northern Saskatchewan has an annual turnover of $125 million a year, they simply didn't believe it. Their their view was of these remote villages that had no economic activity and no sort of foundation. So how do we change the view of an entire country? How do we get an entire country from the political process, the banks, the financial institutions, other businesses? How do we get them to realize what's going on in the Indigenous communities?
1: I think you add a billion. You utilize billion in your language, definitely. So the marker of 100 billion is something to pay attention to. I believe that the establishment of new economic impact metrics, um, an example is there was a Atlantic region summary document that identified the size of the Atlantic economic impact as a whole and demonstrated very clearly in relationship to that um, regional GDP that indigenous economic impact is both positive um, and a key player um, within both the regional and national economy. Having a resource-based national economy Having an slide series of court cases that are supporting this new field for economic influence of Indigenous peoples, it's really speaking to now it's time to pay attention. So that tension between what just happened and what do we need to do is the perfect intersection of right now.
0: I was um, in New Brunswick, living in New Brunswick, when the Marshall decision came down in 1999, which basically guaranteed a treaty right for, it's one of the court cases you're talking about, guaranteed Aboriginal people a treaty right to harvest fish for commercial purposes. And there was lots of controversy at the time and a lot of anger, actually, to be honest, about the idea that Aboriginal people had this new legal right. Um, Ten years on, they were looking back over, it's included in the report you just talked about, and realizing that the Marshall decision empowered Aboriginal people to get involved as fishers Uh, in the processing area, and the service and supply areas, that they've actually become major actors in the maritime economy from an almost zero starting point, because there's been so little effort made to conclude them in the economy before then. So what you're telling us is, you know, that Marshall decision-inspired process in in the Maritimes has obviously been doubled and tripled and quadrupled all across the country, leading to that $32 billion number and leading to your sort of $100 billion ambitious target.
1: Absolutely, and I come from the other coast where um, the more recent New Channel's decision, which required the inclusion of the New Channel's people um, to have a modern right to a a commercial function. If you put in perspective that we have a federal government that spent years and millions of dollars Saying at the heart of the argument that indigenous people do not have a modern right to a commercial function, that makes an argument very difficult to be able to see the demonstrated socioeconomic gaps within this country. You cannot have nation to nation based relationships without modern um, commercial function. So the fact that the New Channel won that, the same fact in regards to the Marshall which you're speaking to, all of those create the space um, for economic empowerment. And that's really why we're seeing this dual narrative of what just happened and what do we need to do now. And I think it's a more powerful question of what do we need to do now. And that's very much the call or the invitation of the Indigenomics Institute is who wants to play Indigenomics.
0: So here's an interesting question for you. Government policy has been, on balance, very detrimental to Indigenous people over the last 150 to 200 years. Governments came up with the reserve system, the Indian Act, residential schools, and on and on. And you've hinted at this over time of sort of the the, the plunge into welfare dependency was in large measure because the government of Canada didn't really understand Indigenous uh, worldviews, didn't understand Indigenous power and rights, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we're in a situation now where the historic government policies are no longer very attractive at, at all, where the government of Canada has said it wants to be create real and lasting partnerships with Indigenous people, where the impulse, and this is my view, the impulse in Ottawa is still quite strong to be activists. They want to get out and do things. You've got two minutes uh, with the Prime Minister of Canada. Um, You've got a chance to plug him on what would be the best policy initiatives for Uh, to create sort of Indigenomics and to get things moving in the right direction. What do you tell the Prime Minister of Canada?
1: I would introduce the concept of Indian Act economics, that the foundational structures of the Indian Act, whether a nation is self-government or um, treaty-related, modern treaty-related, there is still an impact in regards to the evolution of the Indian Act today that The constructs of Indian Act economics and economics itself are in direct opposition to each other. The ability to create leadership to translate the legal environment into the economic environment is one leadership point that this government can act on today. To bring leadership and move away from the legal emphasis and move towards economic investment That is the new reality, that it's really a matter of time of which government is going to understand this and respond appropriately. And lastly, I would suggest that the existing funding formula, what I've seen is that 98% of the federal transfer dollars to the 603 nations is very much socially focused 2% of that has been identified as economic development. There's no way in this country that we can have a successful formula to support the growth of the Indigenous economy as it currently exists.
0: Interesting. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you realize that government policy has been obsessively focused on the problem of Indigenous people as opposed to the possibilities and the potential of Indigenous people. And if, they, if government policy is focused on those social agendas, they really hamstring Indigenous communities that are trying to break themselves out of that welfare dependency, correct?
1: Absolutely. And if we look at the historical development of this concept of the Aboriginal question, of which even the first Prime Minister, John A. MacDonald, spoke of this Aboriginal question Um, Our people went right to the Queen of England, literally went there to address this Aboriginal question. And I think if we increase the quality of the question today, um, really what we're seeing is a shift away from the Indian problem to a shift towards Indigenous economic empowerment. And that's primarily the point of leadership right now is to shift from the current funding formula to investment into an Indigenous economy. So moving away from this deficit funding approach to an investment approach that's actual tools and leverage for Indigenous economic growth. That leverage for Indigenous economic growth cannot exist within the existing funding Approach of government as it's seeing the status quo of the existing approach to Indigenous business,
0: particularly in southern Canada. The idea of successful Indigenous businesses is still a is, is still a, a sort of a hard thing to grasp. Even people who live in Vancouver and pay a little bit of attention to what the Squamish and the Musqueam have been doing the last few years, what's actually going on with the Twaasen First Nation down down in the in the southern part of the province they still have this trouble getting their head around the idea of indigenous business success. So, you know, can you give me, without saying that they're your favorites or anything like that, give me a couple of examples of indigenous business success stories that sort of reinforce your point?
1: One of my favorite stories of indigenous business success is a small uh, nation on Vancouver Island, um, the Ohio Nation. I have seen them create a foundation for remarkable um, nation-based business success through their modern-day treaty. They have been able to purchase, I believe it was six core uh, real estate fee simple lots within the rural town. Of Renfrew, I think it's Port Renfrew there, but what they were able to do was in those purchases and acquisitions of those lands in the town was to become a major driver and motivator and placed themselves of having economic presence in the region. Further, their acquisition of the tree farm license partnership through. That sector, I believe, really creates a platform for their economic presence, And that's something that I see that the nations that are commonly referenced across the country, how and in what way specifically does their economic presence create impact in the surrounding area? I find that Ohio is an amazing example of that. Another example that I draw on often is also in BC is the Slyamon Nation, which from a point of conflict with the local um, regional district and municipality, were able to come to points of collaboration and leadership to create new opportunities for economic development. That is an amazing success story that through conflict and through new relationship building, Allowed a clear pathway for economic opportunities and inclusion. And lastly, other examples I see is um, this growth in Indigenous entrepreneurship. So, um, and I think we're seeing this very much an increase in Indigenous um, female business ownership. An example that I um, really have a lot of respect for is Cheekbone Beauty, um, that's um, indigenous based makeup, but also supports young people in education. Just a brilliant business model. It's connected to community, it's connected to capacity, um, really high quality and well done. And then, lastly, also a female um, owned business is Isku Air. Um, out of BC that's just acquired space within the Vancouver airport to be the first Indigenous female-run airline. And I think these are examples that really are coming out of um, kind of this air of surprise saying, you know, there's this growth in Indigenous business that's both community-based as well as entrepreneurship-based, and seeing this balance that there's this new message that business is an opportunity Um, To both support community, to support your own family, as well as from a nation or a community perspective, a space to create economic presence and influence that's been missing. I really build on this concept from within um, the book I'm currently finishing, Indigenomics by Design, A Seat at the Economic Table. The real emphasis is this seat at the economic table, that essentially the absence and the systemic exclusion of Indigenous peoples from the economic table is what is being addressed, is what requires a new response. And that leadership points of today is inclusion at the economic table and in how many different ways that facilitates across this country to attain a $100 billion Indigenous economy.
0: Well, Carolyn, thank you very much for the conversation today. This uh, Indigenomics is really exciting. Your positive and constructive view of the future is truly uh, motivational. What I really like about what you had to say is that it's practical. You're You're talking about something that's underway, not that something that might happen. Your examples you've used are classic illustrations of the nature of Indigenous business being different than many other businesses, community-based, community-focused, often sort of recycling the funding back through capacity building to sort of create even more opportunities for young people in the future. Um, you've given us a, a very superb uh, introduction to uh, the future of economic, economic development in Indigenous communities in Canada, and I sure hope you'll agree to come back and, and talk to us again. Uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, This is Ken Coates, a Monk Senior Fellow at McDonnell-Laurie Institute. I've been with uh, Carol Ann Hilton today talking about her wonderful work on indigenomics and the Indigenomics Institute. Uh, She has emerged as one of the most powerful and influential thinkers on indigenous economic and business development in Canada. Uh, Thank you very much, Carol Ann, for being with us. This has been a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you very much, Ken.